Expounded Universe, Season 22, Episode 3! Buffy, Buffy, Raw, where are ya? The book, St- uh, Lando Calrissian in the Star Cave of Thonboka. The author, L. Neil Smith. The year, 1983. The chapters, 7 through 9. With your hosts, Jeff and John, let's go! everybody welcome back to expounded universe where i am your host jeff and i am joined as always by your other host john who is doing everything in his power to break me from doing the intro correctly Aww. with little weird mouth things just little little mouth things and none of them are getting me you can't stop perfection no i see it i see you trying to do that thing where you turn your tongue into a you and it's not i did the intro right and i'm gonna stick with that you got it man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I'm feeling groovy, because I had delicious African food and cider for lunch. Nice. Yeah. And ah. some mead, because we went to a tasting place. Nice. Oh, man. They got this new one. Tastes like mead, baby. <laughs> Tastes, Tastes kind of like, like honey, <laughs> but you get drunk. <laughs> the ciders were okay this time. I, we did four. We did flights of four of each, and the ciders were fine. The only one that was really a standout was the pumpkin cider, Ooh. which tasted a lot like a you know like alcoholic cr- uh, pumpkin pie. Yep. It's what you want. Yeah. And I then, mean, that's what I want. At yeah. Least. Which, what most people should want. Yeah. And, uh, the mead, the best mead was one that was orange blossom honey with lemon and, uh, do, 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 peaches, lemon and peaches and lemon and doo-doo. <laughs> lemon and doo-doo. <laughs> lemon and king dee-dee-dee. <laughs> it was lemon and peaches and it was really goddamn good. That sounds great. Yeah. It was like peach lemonade that got you high or drunk, really. I don't think it would get you high. You probably yeah. drink a lot of it, and, and also smoke weed. Yeah. So if you if you drank it while smoking weed, it would get you high. <laughs> Not <would>. the weed. <laughs> no, it has a special power where it neutralizes the weed, but gets you high in the exact same way. That's just science. It's just weird science. Mm-hmm. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing doing all right. We got uh, a little uh, like advent calendar thing for for christmas for like the the counting down oh yeah but one of them is uh like little jams little oh jams nice and jellies yeah, yeah. so uh we opened up some of those and uh we had some like little made little tiny pancakes this morning for breakfast tiny pancakes you just spread a little bit of the like tiny sampler jams oh that sounds nice yeah yeah yeah, we only have, uh, we have, we, Sage is really into them, so we get her an advent calendar every year that plays music when you click a little button on it. Mm. And then this year we have one for the cat. Nice. It's got, uh, like salmon and seaweed flavored treats in a variety of shapes. And it took him about a day and a half to realize that this was going to be a daily event. Ah. So now he wakes us up in the morning all like, give me advent calendar. I require. Open the doors to my treat. <laughs> I require fish treat. <laughs> The Christ child is risen, and I require salmon. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The Christ child is risen. It was dead. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, if I can cite the expertise of one Scatman John. You see, those the things you call dead are... are wait, they they're have yet the, to be born. Those are dead in strange eons. Well, hold on. <laughs> That's exactly who wrote the Cthulhu novel, was Scatman John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the scat man, and he's really afraid of Italian people. <laughs> Don't put that on the scat man. <laughs> no, that's not his fault. <laughs> and th- th- we can't put anything on him now. He's moved on to a better place. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, briefly in Vegas for a while, and then he died. Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, <laughs> the book. The book. How about the book? So last time uh, when... Uh, ah, some shit happened. <laughs> you know, we left our, our intrepid heroes. Uh, oh, they were dead. Lando uh, had very clearly not died. Yeah, they both were definitely <laughs> dead. Their their ship blew up. Yeah. So Lando and Buffy uh, conned a whole bunch of people. Well, I'm not even conned them. Mostly were legitimate businessmen for a while in order yeah. to get close enough to the actual Star Cave to run the blockade. And they set up a little explosion in the back so that when a beam hit them, it would look like they died. I don't know what you're talking about. If you're if you're sticking strictly to the, the events of those three books, they got blowed up by a giant beam and are dead. <laughs> yes, the three the chapters. In, 
the in those chapters when Lando was like, hey, did you put that thing on the back of the ship that I told you to put there? Yeah. So it'll look like we explode. It's a real shame that thing didn't work and they died. Such a shame. Yeah. Obviously, Buffy Raw waited too long to detonate the detonator or whatever it was. Ah, uh, yes. And and so they they died. Remember, you had Clint, like uh, some messenger having to tell that to uh, to Roker Gepta, and he was all grumpy about it. And he was like, "Oh, you can go." And then he fed and him, him killed, to a pet because yeah. he's an idiot. Yeah, exactly. So, like, definitely at the it started these three chapters. As far as I'm concerned, they're dead. Lando, <laughs> Lando, and Buffy died. Obviously, as we all know. And we know the chapters don't start with them, so it's going to be fine. Yeah, it takes, like, a while for us to finally... It takes the third of the three chapters for us to get back to them. Yeah, like, they start with their obvious dead corpses, as uh, the, the, the chapter opens Clearly. with, with uh, who, uh, Lihisu, who is apparently back in the Starcave. He's been waiting in there for assistance from, from our heroes. Yeah. And he is kind of just flight, flighting around, being kind of nervous and hungry, because... What we learn is that the blockade is actively destroying any interstellar eddies of food that would come into the Thonboka. Yeah, so anything that would be like, oh, little particles that would feed, like, either them or any of the stuff that they then feed on. Yes. So they're just like, oh, no, we've got a giant web of just energy that anything that tries to get through into the Star Cave just immediately gets blastoised. Yes, and they're they're even spraying some kind of space poison that takes even the simplest organic molecules that might make it through the opening that they can't get shot at and still makes them taste all nasty. Yeah. So, you know, Lahisu's like, this is... Obviously, I have felt hunger. I was starving when I met Lando and Buffy, so I understand what's going on. And I also know that this is... Nowhere near as bad as it can be. Yeah. But he's also like, everyone else here, all the other Oswaft have never experienced a, like, modicum of discomfort, and they are freaking out. And they're not happy. No, they're like, oh, I am ever so slightly hungry. I am losing my goddamn mind. Yes, yeah. They're very entitled. Yes. <laughs> That's what's happening. We're seeing just a collection of rich people be, like, have a bad day on a road trip or something. It'd be like, but where can I eat? Uh, nowhere. You're in the middle of the desert. Well, that's super inconvenient. Who would allow such a thing to occur? Yeah. It's just one of those like, ah, uh, yes, the, the rich boys staff have taken the day off and now they have to go to the kitchen themselves. They're like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> I'm far too fancy a lad to microwave something. <laughs> what is this? I shan't. <laughs> On principle, why, I haven't even dressed myself, for normally the butler does it. Arrange yourself into a burgerous form, pile of ground beef. <laughs> I demand it. Mm, I shall look sternly upon thee. I'll have you deported to wherever beef is from. Wisconsin. <laughs> deported to Wisconsin. Ah, a fate worse than death. <laughs> Handle that for me, um, the, the tray of bananas. Yeah, the, so the Oswaft are just entirely incapable of dealing with anything. Yes. So it's Lahisu, of course, when he left and came back, he was like, oh, uh, you know, here's the deal. There's a bunch of people that exist outside of here. They have craft that they fly and exist within. The artifacts themselves aren't alive, but there's people that are alive in them. And of course, all the Oswaft are like, that's dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Lisa. We don't like your shit. Yes. What we've also we also learned through this chapter is that Oswaft don't really jump to light speed like we said earlier, so much as they just teleport where they want to go. Yeah. Like, well, there might be some time taking place in there, but they can go right through shit. It doesn't matter. The intervening distance is irrelevant to them, where in hyperspeed, you could run into a planet. Yeah, the way... I mean, the thing is, because this is out before we really get into a lot of the establishing rules for what hyperspeed is mm -hmm. like he could have thought oh yeah hyperspeed is literally just because he says in here they go into another dimension and then pop out somewhere else do yeah. spaceships so it might be like oh yeah everyone's basically hopping through dimensions it's just they hop through a different one that might be yeah ultimately i keep running into this problem when i'm thinking about the fact that they're being blockaded because there's enough navy to block the entrance to this absolutely gigantic stellar nursery nebula right yeah but i, I guess the walls of the thonboka must be crazy thick and enough to be scaring anybody from just they're just gas just go out the other side dude it's just gas 
hit the bricks. Just walk away. Close your eyes. And if you're like, no, I can't go through that gas. I'll get in my space eyes or whatever. Fine. You can fabricate whatever out of whatever. That's like your whole deal. Just make yourself a face shield and go through the gas on the other side. It is dozens of light years across. There's no way the blockade can see the other side. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a fucking nebula. And they're like, oh, we blockade the weird part that enters the nebula that's sort of an open cave-looking thing. And you're like, yeah, but that's just getting the little things that would waft in from that very small part of it. Yeah. Particles are still going to go into the gaseous part of it. You can't stop that. Put some black holes or white holes or something in there, you know, just to make it so you can't go through the gas. Yep. Maybe it just smells bad. They're just like, oh, but it's stinky. Oh, I don't want to go through the fart cloud of Thon (laughs) Boca. Yeah, I still need a further explanation as to why they don't just leave out the back, like just push through. It does. It's just some floating space dirt, guys. You can. I'm pretty sure you can do it. You're flying star destroyers. Yeah, and the whole point is they're like, oh, little particles in space that would normally float into there is stopped by this web. And I'm like, is it stopped by the nebula? Is like the gas of it enough to repel anything that would float in there? I think that's what's supposed to be happening. Like the basic idea, like. The landscape of the Thonboka is something we will get described to us in these chapters, such as it is. And it's three blue-white main-sequence stars floating at the exact center, and instead of ordering the, the world around them into an orbit like a normal star would, they're repelling everything. So the normal cosmic soup that would have coalesced into planets and asteroids and all that other stuff is instead being pushed out to a specific distance away from these three stars, and then just being stuck there by the repulsion. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is cost enough that the, the, it can't even coalesce out there. It just stays as a floating mass of stuff. And that's enough that ionizing radiation is happening between them. So there's like lightning bolts in the nebula. It's all kinds of neat ideas. But yeah, it, it never really explains why, why these giant, you know, steam shovel monsters can't just kind of headbutt through it. Yeah. <laughs> and but, you'd think they're like, oh, it's repelling all the stuff and it's just sort of stuck in this little cloud that's sort of cave shaped in space. You'd be like, I don't know, dangle your fucking tentacles into the cloud and eat whatever's there. Yeah, just get some food up in you. You guys will be fine. But yeah, Lahisu is, this is just a scene where he is mostly freaking out. He he is looking electronically using his senses because he can't act. He's so far inside the nebula that he can't actually see the blockade. But their constant Plus web got of little invisibility cloaking yes. devices. Plus their constant web of electrical communication is enough that he can hear it from any distance. Yeah, we get the fun thing where he's like, Oh, yeah, I learned Lando's language, and it took a while for me to do that. A couple hours, yeah. And now, they don't realize that, you know, the Oswaft communicate through radio signals and whatnot. Yeah. So he's like, oh, they're just broadcasting what they think is secure, and he doesn't realize that the code that they use is supposed to be like, ooh, this is secure. He's like, oh, this is a fun game for them. To to him, it's just another language. He's just like, well, I had to learn a language by electronic uh, word communication with Lando and Vuffy. This is just another one. It took me less time to learn it after I learned that the concept of languages exists. Well, no, I mean, they have their own language to the Oswald. He was just like, oh, "Oh, your language is weird. But as soon as he learned it, he's like, oh, code is just a fun game you play as humans when you communicate. So it'd be like, oh, if someone was speaking pig Latin, you're like, oh, you're just having a fun time. Yeah. Well, and that's the way he views it, because he immediately cracks Their it. language isn't pictographic or anything. They're ble- they're just beaming thoughts into each other's heads, so they don't have, like, an alphabet. So to him, a code is just an alphabet that he doesn't know is supposed to be complicated. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> oh, you, uh, you scrambled up the words and things that you were doing. Oh, you did it like this. Yeah. Okay, done. Yeah, you should, probably should have guessed that our brains up in here are, like, the size of city buses. So we're we're quite clever. Yeah. <laughs> um so he's cracked the code, but it doesn't even the fact that he's cracked their military communication code, the he's learned pretty quick that the Navy doesn't fucking know what they're doing. Yeah, the code like the messages they're sending back and forth, he's like he's not getting anything much out of them. Yeah. Of course, he does mention like if the Navy knew that they were able to crack their military code within minutes then they would be even more likely to be like, all right, just fucking nuke him. Yeah. Just send everything in. Yeah, so he's just listening in, but not getting much out of it, because he is no problem cracking new languages, but still having a hard time distinguishing ships from people. So anyway, that's what's going on with Lahisu. We just have a quick check-in. Uh, he notices at one point there's a sudden flurry of electrical activity coming out of the uh, out of the fleet, and that's when the events from the end of the last episode play out. Yes. He sees a big flash and some nonsense. And of course, at this point, he had been worried. He's like, 
Oh, I haven't really heard from Lando or Buffy. I would assume that they would, you know, send a communication. Yes, but obviously they can't because if they do, it'll be it'll reveal their intent to this blockade navy. So they've they've been very quiet for the past several days, and he doesn't he didn't know they were out there. All of a sudden, he hears an explosion, hears a burst of electronic communication, sees lasers, and then here comes the Falcon. Uh, and it's all dented and busted up and black uh, and scorched and sort of spinning when it arrives. Yeah. Goop melting out of the back of it because it got hit by a powerful laser that melted a bunch of the metal on the on the back. Yeah. And obviously it contains dead Lando Calrissian, Buffy Ra. <laughs> Clearly the laser that didn't blow up the ship just murdered them somehow. He's an ex-Vuffy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, the robot died from spinning too much. Uh, yeah, you can't spin the robot. There's a there's a limit. Yeah, do not spin robot. <laughs> it's right there on the maintenance tag. Oh, but he looks like a big fidget spinner. Oh, <laughs> I want to spin him so bad. Come on, let me spin the robot. <laughs> I'm afraid that would cause me to die. Uh, <laughs> worth it. Wee. <laughs> yes, but no spinning robot ever truly really lives. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, he he comes. Oswald no, locates the Falcon spinning in in space and runs up to it, space style, and it's just like, "Hey, Buffy, Lando, hey Falcon, are my friends in there? Hey, hey, y'all, y'all anyone good? Hey, hey Falcon, because he still more or less is convinced that the Falcon is a living creature that has parasites that can talk. Yeah, it's it is very difficult because you know he also establishes like as intelligent and capable of making things as. The Oswaft are, Lahis is like, we don't though. Like, at most, we might create, like, a little thing that we would wear that, like, a necklace or some shit. Yeah. But for the most part, they don't really have any physical things that they care about. They don't make homes because they just float in space. They don't make clothing or they don't have an economy. So it's not like they're making things to trade. Yeah. Their, their intelligence theoretically is very similar to that of, like, dolphins, where dolphins are super intelligent, very social. But don't make stuff, and so they don't have that aspect of our our uh, our intelligence baked into them. Yeah, they're not really big on the whole crafting thing. Yeah, so to him, having encountered a spaceship for the first time ever, he's just convinced it's an armored version of him that's really small, and for some reason it's fleas can talk. Yeah, and he's he has been disabused of that notion. Like, he knows that's not right, but he just falls back on asking yes. the Falcon because he's like, it's really hard to wrap my mind around the idea that there is something that can fly around in space and send signals, which is basically like talking to him and not be alive. Yeah. So after that, I I, I want to say, do we go, go to Roker first or do we do the story of how, of his exploration? Because there's a bit where he's lamenting that the blockade is essentially his fault for volunteering to go oh, outside. All of, all of the, the like, I fucked around in space stuff is in this first chapter. Okay. The first chapter is... Also, Buffy, the the the, the Lahisu story. Yeah, because he also ends up like fucking around and like going to check out one of the navy outposts. He's like, "Hey, anybody here?" And they like scramble yes. a bunch of fighters. Well, I think that's a prequel to the blockade. Is what that that's that's him remembering how we how he got into this dumb mess in the first place. Yeah, he's just like, "Hey, anybody here?" Yeah. And then some navy guys freak the fuck out, and he's like, "Oh, you guys aren't fun." Yeah. So we get two stories. One of them's very short, but the first one is. We get a story from some lady who's working as a uh, outpost, per, uh, uh, like a like a guard post at the edge of, a, of an important ga- navally controlled gala- uh, planetary system. Well, yeah, because the Thonboka is so far removed from where, you know, human society is. Yes. That this is the first thing he really comes across that isn't Lando or Vuffy is a, you know, very far edge of where the control of the Navy is outpost. Yeah. And it's. It's one of those shit jobs where you're like, ah, yes, here I am in Antarctica looking for signs of life. <laughs> yeah, please not giant penguins or goopy black masses. <laughs> the two uh, most common types of Antarctic life. Goopy penguins in black masses! <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, I couldn't come up with a quick way to describe a shogoth or whatever they are. Yeah. Shogoth? Yeah. I mean, I have heard it pronounced in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm sure think it none matters. of them are right. Yeah, because I mean, it's an it's an unpronounceable, ineffable name for a monster. No, oh, man, it's just a shogoth. Oh, is it? I thought they like came up with their own name, so it's probably actually like squirk or something, you know? Nah, or just you know the concept of being Greek. <laughs> Whatever Lovecraft is most scared of. 
So anyway, he he goes off after meeting Lando and Buffy. He flies off to this this place to be like, oh, more people. Let's meet some people. Let's learn things. And we get the the whole point of view is from this lady whose job is to like watch radar dishes. And all of a sudden, she sees a blip. Contacts another station. Is like, hey, you see that thing? It looks like it's made of plastic. What what are we looking at? Yeah, especially because they're like, it's kind of see through. Like I can't really tell what it is, and it's our you know waves are kind of bouncing off of it like as if it was just a big sheet of plastic yeah so it's also that's one of the i i love highlighting these when we come across them because this book does it so much plastic feels very out of place for star wars just saying it's oh, feels like it's made out of plastic you got to say it's made out of like plastasteel or flimsiplast or one of those you know plasticrete yeah you can't just say you got to combine two dumb things same thing where when lahisu is flitting around all nervous that's how we learn how his hyperspace works when in the beginning of this chapter when he's just Waiting. He's basically pacing, and pacing for the for the Oswald is basically teleporting in short distances. Yeah, and of course, Oswald aren't normally, you know, prone to nervous behavior like that. Yeah. So he's like, it's weird that I'm doing it. Normally, this would be like, if you were a little kid, you might do this. Yeah. But he is impatient, and so he's just sort of like, just bamfing around at yeah. like, you know... And he, several hundred thousand kilometers at a time. A, there's a line about how he hadn't talked to Lando long enough to learn the human concept of the cat. But if he had, he would know that he has many things in common with those irrepressible felines. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so they send out a, a, the, uh, the, the lady who's in charge of the radar dish, who's listed only as a rating, which I could not read as anything but rattling because my brain is poisoned. <laughs> yep, just horrible <laughs> 40k poisoning in my brain. <laughs> Uh, she, she like a- agrees that they should scramble a squadron. So they rouse a couple of fighters, like 12 or so to go fly out and find out what this is. And then we cut to, to the reports from the, the fighters being like, there's the, what the hell, there should be something here. It's on all of our radar, but we can't, oh God, there it is. Cause you know, Lahisu is mostly see-through. Yeah. And then it just disappears. Cause he just kind of like blinks to the side and they're like, where the fuck did it go? What happened? And they're like, Oh, it's over there. Ah, oh, go scramble. Yeah, so one of them tries some fancy flying to get around under it, and he just instinctively is trying to maintain his balance in space. So he flips a wingtip and kills a guy. Oops. Oopsie doops. And then, you know, they try to surround him and shoot at him, and he just, you know, blinks away, and they end up shooting each other. Yeah, well, another guy dies in the crossfire from that. Lahisu has been trying, the same way he did with the Falcon, to bombard them with communications, but these people don't have a Vuffy on their droid, on their uh, spaceship, so they're not, there's no one inquisitive being like, I think that's a mental image. I think he's drawing pictures of our ships and of poop he would like to eat. Uh, and, and instead is, they're just trying to kill him, so he gets bored right away and just fucks off. He's like, oh, these guys are assholes, I'm out of here. Yeah, nuts to this. And then he just flies to another system, also controlled by the same Navy, and accidentally... Kills 43 people. Yeah. Well, he shows up and essentially causes a stampede because two different shifts were changing right when he showed up. And it just, they got so fucked up and terrified, they end up just murdering each other. And he's like, oh, my bad, I guess. It's not helped by the Navy uh, sending out uh, subspace communications or whatever, not Star Trek thing, from one planet to the other to be like, hey, some weird monster just showed up and fucking killed three of our ships. Yeah. And they're like, well, he didn't do a fucking thing like that. He accidentally bonked one of them when it got too close to him. Then you guys shot one of your own. And then they, one of them just crashed trying to land. And they just blamed that on him, too. Yeah. One of them was just bad and sucked. And they went, eh, that was his fault. It's also him. Put it on the record. <laughs> so by the time Lahisu arrives at this other system, they're like, fuck that guy. Scramble. That thing's a murderer. And they accidentally kill 43 of their own. Yeah. And that is when he was like, all right, well. I've managed to pick up enough of your communications to realize you think I'm trying to murder you. So I guess, all right, my bad, I'll leave. <laughs> yeah, he does the Seinfeld in the theater. <laughs> oh, nope, nope, uh-uh. <laughs> Too rich for my blood. <laughs> well, I'm out. <laughs> but this time, the government of the Navy had been ahead of uh, him in one respect, which is that they had a stealth scout ship that could follow his hyperspace jump. And that's what led to the blockade. They, they followed him home. And decided that they need to murder whatever's in there because Jesus Christ, these things are big and scary. Yeah. I mean, as soon as they find out, they're like, oh, this weird monster showed up. And they're like, oh, there's an entire fucking nebula full of monsters like this. And he's a small one. Yeah. So that is what led them to go like, all right, well, 
giant monster is apparently murdered so many of our guys, which is mostly just them being incompetent, yes. but they're blaming it on that, and yeah. so now they are here. And, and so the Oswafter also kind of blaming this, blaming this on Lahisu. Uh, they are, they have no fathom of exactly what's happening. They just know it sucks. Oh yeah, and there are you know remotely inconvenienced, and they're like, well, maybe we should go talk to these weird giant things that are outside there and and talk about surrender which is amusing to Vuff. vuffy's like what the fuck you, uh, guys lahisu lahisu excuse me lahisu's like guys we could just murder all of them easily like we most of us are way bigger than me i'm a little one yeah you guys could just go out there and be like hey quit it <laughs> <laughs> i think if they just said hey quit it it would disintegrate half the ships they're like black bolt over here <laughs> so so these guys are Real big, but they're also very passive and just sort of minorly inconvenienced at the moment. So they're mostly just like, I don't know, let's just go talk to those tiny things at the entrance and see if they'll go away. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, we we should give up and see what they want. <laughs> at least it was like, oh my God, why are you just rolling over immediately? Because <laughs> we're sad that there's a minor inconvenience. We're sad that we're dying. <laughs> But yeah, that chapter ends with the Falcon showing up and Lehisu being like, Oh, hey, you all right, little guys? Yeah. Little buddy? But they aren't, because obviously, as the book has told us on a number of occasions at this point, they are for sure dead. Yeah, for sure. Both dead. Very clearly. Uh-huh. So there you go. And I assume the rest of the book will go forward with them continuing to be dead. Of course. Yeah. So meanwhile, we check in with Roker Gepta. <laughs> Roker Gepta just escalating again. God, it starts in a tiny shielded room on the Venice. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, people might think this room is super shielded because it's trying to shield it from the output of the ship. But instead, I'm shielding the ship from the output of the room. Yeah. Basically, he's got a tiny little room, basically the size of a, a tent. That is stapled between two of the Star Destroyers, because effectively, they keep calling the Wenis a cruiser, but at this point, they've described it as a, a half-kilometer-long trowel. And I'm like, oh, it's a Star Destroyer. It's just one of the little ones. Yeah, except they refuse to call it that. Yes. <laughs> so, so uh, he's between two of those giant four fuck-off engines at the back of every Star Destroyer. He's got a little tent made of 200-centimeter-thick uh, metal that's uh, that no one else can get to. You can only go to it when the engines are turned off, and even when they are, the radiation around there is so fucking dangerous it would kill anyone who wasn't a Roker Gepta. Yeah, and he's like, oh, the only way to even get in is with a very specialized ship that yeah, only you, I have. You have to fly out to it. Uh, and, and so he's in there in a little pitch-dark room, because he hates lights, and uh, just wa uh, waiting until they turn the engines off so we can fly back out again. And what's he doing in there? The room is featureless, save a single pylon, metal pylon, rising up in the center of it, upon which is set a force shield made of some kind of energy about the size of a head. A, yeah. a human head. And it's it's a tiny little thing, but ooh, he's he's turned it on, and he's flipping dials, and ooh, now he's ma making a thing. He's got Ooblek, and it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, he's basically making, I don't know, Ice Nine, or you, 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 na name your, your uh, horrible poison, Grey Goo. Effectively, he is he is uh, using the combination of his magical abilities, maybe, or just technologically entirely contained within that pylon, to fabricate a substance that goes from point of life to point of life and kills it and reproduces. Yeah, he it's the same thing that he used on Tund. Yes. He's like, oh, the thing that, you know, turned Tund into nothing, and then there's still some, like, little green fire areas on the planet. This is that green fire. Yes. It's a it's a horrifying substance. A single millimeter of it that gets onto a planet would eradicate the, the living population of the planet in a matter of hours. Yeah. It was if you don't have the specific shielding that stops this from getting through, it will just replicate and destroy everything living eventually. Now, he's just basking in doing this, because obviously he's Roker Gepta, so he's just cartoonishly evil. He's like, oh, I'm so angry, and I love making genocide goop. Yeah. so I'm evil Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I mean, even eviler Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I've got goop that'll murder a planet instead of just your vagina or whatever. <laughs> Put this egg in there. <laughs> Roker Gepta's egg. What will that what will that do? It will cost you ninety-six dollars. 
I, I didn't ask how much it'll cost. I asked what it'll do. It, it will cost you. It will egg you. <laughs> <laughs> and I answered what it would do. <laughs> cost you $96. <laughs> uh, so he's making goop because he's grumpy and he's going to use it for part of his, his villainous, villainous plan, which I assume is to kill everybody in the Thonboka because he's mad that anybody was involved other than him in the death of Lando Calrissian, who was definitely dead. So so he's down there just being like, and I'll use it on the Navy, and I'll use it on the Thonboka residents, and I'll use it on Glinshanga! And that's when he gets- <laughs> I'll just throw this shit wherever! <laughs> that's when he- It's it's a weird chapter, sub-chapter, because there's a part where he's in the middle of monologuing about how powerful the stuff is, and then he's just suddenly- in an interview with Clint Shanga from earlier, which is why he's so mad. Yeah, because we get a like a little thing where he's thinking about Clint Shanga, and then there's an ellipsis, which then makes it so that it breaks from him thinking about it to us being there. Yeah, it's one of those flashback bearing ellipses. Yeah, yeah. So so he he diddly do diddly doots until he's in a flashback where he's sitting in his special office, not in his special. Super no, tent. he's in he's in the captain's quarters, yeah. which he's not the captain, but he does use the captain's chairs in the captain's quarters, they, but he's not the captain. They told us that every time they've mentioned the Wenis for three books now. It's so weird to me that he's like, <laughs> oh, I'm not the captain, but I have the captain's quarters and chairs, and I have all of the captain's uh, responsibilities and duties, and I'm like, dude, you're the captain. You just say, that guy's the captain. So the reason he was pissed off about Shanga, at least as far as we could tell from before we jumped to this flashback is because Shanga and his men don't have hyperdrives, uh, so they were supposed to wait for the Wenis to pick them up at the edge of the Tunda system, and they didn't. They just started flying towards the Thonboka. Well, I think it's it's more that they left without his say-so. Yes. It, it's, but, oh, we were going to leave and go to the edge of the Thonboka, and I didn't give you leave to go there. And he's like, yeah, we just left because fuck you. But it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I, I think the problem is that maybe just because this book is so early in Star Wars, like, writing timeline, where he's like, you were supposed to wait for me because your ships don't have light speed capability. And they're like, yeah, but we were just going to fly to the Thonboka anyway. And it's like, yeah, dude, anywhere that is anywhere that is not in a solar system would take hundreds of years to get to. You can't just fly to the Thonboka. You're just pissing off uh, uh, the Wenis for no good reason. I don't They'll be 50 yards outside the fucking planet. I don't remember him saying anything about them not having warp capability it's right in there it says it, it says that the reason he was so grumpy that that uh they didn't wait for him was because he was understood that his crappy ships don't have light speed um it, it, yeah it, it's right here yeah it, he's just he's uh he's grumpy because they didn't wait for him the way they were supposed to but th- like there's no way they got anywhere interesting there may be a tenth of a light year outside the ton system tootling along at sublight speed and the Wenis had to pull up and be like fucking get in what are you doing like, like they broke up with him, and now they're trying to walk home grumpy. <laughs> Except he was like, "Oh, but we we're gonna get there early, and and wait There's, for you." Like I was saying, that's interstellar distances. There's no way. It's made multiple point a, a point in that last episode as well that his ships don't have light speed capability, but the Wenis has one that does, and it bore that messenger that got turned into yeah. food chunks. No, it's normally like, oh, like if you're a little craft, you don't have light speed. Exactly. And so like, TIE fighters don't, but X-Wings do. And that's the big difference. It's uh, it's weird that he is so pissed off. I mean, again, it's mostly just. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, you're insubordinate because you left when I didn't tell you to leave. Yeah, exactly. But the thing that drives me nuts there is that they left for no fucking good reason. The Thonboka's got to be de- uh, centuries away at sublight travel. Huh. But does it, whatever. So now he's in there going like, it was insubordination at Shanga who is doing everything in his power to make sure that you, the reader, knows he doesn't give a shit about any of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is mostly just Shanga dunks on Gepta for a chapter. Yeah, we get a little bit about why Gepta is scared of Shanga, 
because he's like a man who's unafraid to die and he's you know he's like oh i've i've met people that aren't afraid to die before and usually it's because they are wanting to die yeah they're right. not afraid of death because they're like oh i i want to die for a cause mm-hmm. or I want to die because I'm not happy or whatever. Super religious. Take your pick. There's all kinds of reasons. But this guy clearly likes life and wants to be alive, but isn't afraid to die. And that's the only kind of person that's scary. Because he doesn't understand it. He's like, I don't understand why a person that wants to live would not be afraid to die. Yes. So he's having a hard time with that. We also get an opening piece here letting us know what that Shanga's sitting there in his full uniform, uh, sprawled out across multiple chairs. And we get a story about how he he uh, was they, he brought his blaster this time. Oh yeah, well the whole thing is, Shanga's just like not giving a fuck when he calls him insubordinate. Shanga's like, dude, I'm not your subordinate. I can't be insubordinate. You don't command me. I don't work for you. I'm not the least of senior of my men is subordinate to you. You have you can't give any of them orders. Yeah, here's the thing. Fuck you. And he's yeah. like. I would think as a military man, you would understand the importance of clear delineation of power. He's like, yeah, but I'm not a military man. I was a military man. Now I'm a mercenary and you need me. So how about fuck you, buddy? So now we get into the bit about how on his way in three or four of of, uh, Gepta's men tried to take his blaster to be like, hey, you can't have that. You can't go into Gepta's office with a fucking gun. And the the in a make sure you know that Shanga is a big badass. He broke three of their arms, and when the fourth guy kept insisting, he fucking killed him. Yeah, which I'm sorry. Wait, what the fuck? Up until this point, Clint Shanga has been like, "Oh, I'm a real nice guy. Yeah, I'm I'm a badass, but my whole thing is I just want to avenge my people. I'm here to get Buffy raw. I'm not a bad guy. I'm literally doing this because." I think that this guy murdered my entire civilization. Yeah. And for some reason, them being like, hey, you you can't take your gun in here. And he has already gone through that process. The last time he met with Gepta on Tund, he didn't have his gun. Yeah, but now apparently he's changed his mind and wants his gun on him at all times. Uh, so And he fucking b- breaks three dudes and kills another just so he can have a gun that in this meeting... He uses to light a cigar. Yeah. What a fucking dick move. Yeah, it's weird. It, it The whole point of him seems to be that he's supposed to be the one that you can, like, fix. You can kind of expect him to go through, like, oh, it, it, it's basically... He'll realize the error of his way. Yeah, it's the amalgam comic where the Joker teams up with the Red Skull until he realizes what the Red Skull is. <laughs> that, that's what we're seeing here, where, where all of a sudden he tur- whirls on the Red Skull and is like, wait a minute, you're a Nazi? And the Red Skull's like, yeah, obviously, I'm in a full Nazi uniform and, and I have a fucking storm ss armband how did you not put this together and the joker's just like i may be a crazy psycho supervillain but i'm an american one <laughs> so it, that's that's what you keep expecting to happen here for him to be like this was a marriage of convenience gepta but i fucking don't like you or your whole bullshit and so i'm gonna try and kill you but if as soon as he's murdering his his, his underlings for tiny reasons he loses the the that fact that high ground yeah. that he would have had because even here he's like oh you know you need me because while we only have, you know, a few dozen fighters, we're, you know, better than any five of yours. Yes, he's like, Because no. you're the type of guy that murders the messenger. You kill someone just because they're, you know, not you know, pleasing you that day. Even if they're the best of the best, if you think they're slightly insubordinate, you'll either get rid of them or murder them. Yeah. You're bad at that's this. Why you're, that's why your army fucking sucks, Gap does, because you're one of those guys who's like, a tiny hint of failure. You want to learn from it. Learn death. It's a waste of everybody's time and you're never going to have a good Navy. That and anyone who does show any amount of competence, you're like, oh, you might be trying to think you're better than me. I'll kill you. So he's basically there to read Gepta the Riot Act for being a shitty villain, which, again, loses a lot of the wind of its sails when when he's like, oh, and also when I got here, I maimed three of your guys and killed another one. And I know in my heart of hearts, because I've met you, Gepta, that the three guys whose arms I broke, they're going to be dead by the end of the day. Yeah. You're going to break them for being, you're going to kill them for being Because they failed to take my weapon. Yeah. And when they failed in the line of duty, you're just going to have them killed. And even if that wasn't an issue, you'd still kill them so that word wouldn't spread around the ship that you let me ki- uh, hurt people on the ship. So by doing this, I have caused the deaths of four men. And yet here I am going to lecture you on how important it is not to kill your own guys. Yeah. 
It's you should have just given the gun. It's so dumb. He's yeah. like, it's not like he's going in here like, ooh, yeah, I know that this gun will be of importance. He literally uses it just to light a cigar to be an asshole. Yeah, but he's basically just here to be like, yeah, Gepta, you can't fuck with me. You need me. Each one of my 23 guys is worth three of your guys. And I really wanted Gepta to be like, you know I have more than 80 fighter pilots, right? Like, like in a numbers game, I'll still win. This is a Zerg rush, and I have the Zerg. <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> Even though I murder off a bunch of guys, I get a whole bunch more back. Yeah. I have so many dudes. I have lots of guys. I'm glad that you think you're the Protoss in this scenario. It doesn't matter. But instead, he's just like, ooh, confound that Klinshanga. <laughs> it's, I mean, and we don't know that he has a whole ton of people. Like, we know he has enough to crew his fucking ship, but we don't know he has a ton of guys. Could be. He could have less than 30 fighters. It just doesn't feel that way. That seems unlikely, because he's very willing to throw them into bullshit scenarios. Yes, but then again, he sucks and is bad at this. Like, yeah. Klinshanga calls him out, and as much as Klinshanga is being a douchebag in this, he is very right he in is right. that yeah. <laughs> fucking Gepta is bad at being a villain. Like, literally, when he starts calling him out for killing his own men, he is interrupting uh, Gepta having a reverie about how he's going to have to kill those three guys. Yes. He said they're being like, hmm, I'll have to have the three of them killed. They'll get full space orders, of course, but I can't let the rest of the ship know this happened. We'll say they died from complication. Oh. Wait, hold on. I'm being insulted. Wait, hold on. He's telling me how stupid I am for doing shit like that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically this whole thing where Shank is like, look, I don't need to work for you. You're just my ride. Like, we just want the same thing right now. That's all this is. Yeah, as soon as I get Buffy Raw, that's it. We're done. I'm not going to deal with you anymore. And yeah. I don't care. Yeah. And it's fun because there's a point where Gepta, who is now just in his head being like, I'm going to run through the many ways I'll kill Clint Shanga. Especially when he's like, Yes, you and I both know the villain Lando Calrissian, and we have to go through like a full paragraph where it's like, that's not what, what Roker Gepta would normally call Lando Calrissian, but obviously his list of epithets and phrases would be too long, voluminous, and inscrutably evil for Clint Shanga to possibly understand. Ugh. <laughs> I really wanted him to start one, you know, like, we both know that butthole. Oh, excuse me, I mean Lando Calrissian. <laughs> That real fart nozzle. <laughs> Total dillweed. <laughs> Poopy head. That mustachioed Nadwell. <laughs> That's right, I said bum sniffer. <laughs> yeah, I, this whole chapter between the two of them is like, God, I was on Clinchanga's side before. But now he's also shown that he's just kind of a dick bag, which is a shame because his avuncular "what if Cable was a, uh, was a, uh, a fighter pilot" vibe just, was just fine. your friendly, cool guy uncle until he decided, "I want my gun so much that I'm willing to murder dudes yeah. over it." That that vibe was fine up until he became as bad as Roker Gepta, and then you're like, "Oh, now he's not as cool as Roker Gepta." At least Gepta leans in. <laughs> At least Gepta understands that he is a villain <laughs> and is as hard into the paint as he can be in yeah. that whereas shanga does not realize he's a bad guy yeah so this meeting doesn't really accomplish anything they're just re they're just rehashing everything they're doing there's like yes we'll get the, to the na the navy and we'll blow them up and then we'll blow up everyone we'll get lando and Buffy, and it's great we already had this conversation you guys yeah it, it's it's just there so that we know that there will be a point where they show up to blow everyone up Exactly. It is all very rehashy, though. It's just it's just establishing that these two don't like each other. And as Shanga gets up to kind of just walk away and go back to his ship and fuck all this, uh, we get uh, God, Roker being like, well, now I hate him. I'm adding him to the list. There's even a part where he tries to do you his just like, made Roker Gepta's shit list. Exactly. But there's a bit earlier than that when he, you can tell he's already like, I'm going to kill this fucker. Because he says to Clint Shanga, yes, and once you've killed Buffy, you can go back to your Redditasia system and rebuild your lost civilization. And he goes right into mind monologue where he's just like, little does he know, I have other plans. He'll never set foot on a planet again. And oh, yeah. Well, he also was like, oh, if these Redditasians are all as headstrong and badass as this guy clearly is, I should wipe them out. 
Why, that was the Navy's problem. They only did two-thirds of a job. I'll finish it. I'll destroy them all. And then right after, he comes down from his mind monologue, and he's all like, like, you know, he's like, he'll never set foot on a planet again. He just immediately gets deflated by Shanga again, who just knows how to needle this guy, because he's like, I'm not going back to the Renatasia system. It's your fucking suburbs now, you douchebag. There's nothing left of my culture there and no chance of it ever coming back. Yeah, what do you think I'm going to rebuild there? I'm not doing this to fix things. I'm doing this because I'm mad. Uh, Yeah, this is for justice, not so that we can then go back and make things better. It will never be better. You fucked us. That's the whole point of this. (laughs) So we get some reestablishing of their positions and a shift in allegiances were now obviously... I mean, there was never really a shift. Roker Gepta kills everyone who isn't Roker Gepta. That's his That's his joie de vivre. Well, yeah, because after this meeting, we go back and it just cuts back to him in the little, you know, murder chamber with the pylon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's made his genocide goop and he's just like, yes, eventually everything in the universe will be touched by this and it will finally be just dead and predictable and that's what i want i'm like really that's what you want roker yes i like to think of this as one of my mini pets it has a certain sort of alive malevolence about it and i'm like i get it already you're a pet guy you can stop talking about it standard pet villain you're a weird evil guy that loves weird evil things yeah great i'm glad it's not just a cat that you pet like you're not you're not like dr claw or whatever no i mean he has to be unique that's why he has the butthole bat spider yes <laughs> so so that's what's going on with those two then we finally check in with our newest friends to this ch- this uh series of books the one the other and the rest yeah the and rest they, have shown up yes and they have gathered and they are arranged in in rank and file all across a vast amount of empty space because uh whatever these things are there's a fucking lot of them an uncountable number vast array of these these things they're all arrayed by ranks Mm -hmm. so that they can all hear what the one is going to say Mm -hmm. and the one at at first is like dude why am i even talking to these we all know what everyone knows yeah like we're all the smartest thing in the universe so we're all up to speed yeah whatever i say isn't going to be anything new and you know the other is like yeah but they want to hear it because for the first time in you know in uncountable amount of years there is uncertainty and so just you know the pomp and circumstance and the whole like pageantry of it is reassuring they want to hear it i want to hear it and it'd probably be nice if you said it And he's like yeah fine yeah and i get the it's fun as well because it almost comes causes a little bit of an apology for our introduction to the one and the other where the one got all excited about things and then the other made fun of him for talking yeah he's like oh yeah I get it. The thing I have learned is that you're a little talkative when you get all up in your business. But now we have the other being like, oh, come on, buddy. You got to say the thing. Everyone wants to hear you say the thing. It's your moment. We like it when you talk. I'm sorry. (laughs) No. Admittedly, I know what these are, and I I hate that that means I can't speculate. So I'm just going to speculate as if I didn't and and say that I would love it if these guys were microscopic Uh. and that their uncountable number is like 10 and they just never conceived of a number higher than that. And then the whole thing ends when Lando like blows his nose or something. Like that's the whole story here. That would be amazing. We have created something. It's chaos. And we're like, oh, you're a virus. (laughs) We have invented the common cold. (laughs) Uh, But no, they, uh, they just have a little thing where the one comes up and he's like, hey, everybody. Uh, we, we set a little guy out and, and he, he's doing his thing and chaos is happening and soon we shall, uh, get him back and then we'll learn all the stuff that it learned. And I'm like, oh, you, you're the guys who made Buffy. Yeah. Assembled masses. In the time of chimpanzees, there was a monkey. (laughs) Butane in my veins (laughs) and I'm out to cut the chunky. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I I don't want to, I, I can agree with you. I I know it, it technically is spoiling, but yeah. They're like, we created a little guy, and he's super peaceful, even more peaceful than us. One might even say he's pacifistic. And you're like, oh, he made they made Buffy. Yeah, because the whole speech is, uh, we made a little guy to go out and learn things, and then we're going to get him back and learn all the things the little guy learned. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no shit. You, you, these are the people who made Buffy. It's yeah, very the, clear. The, this is the Buffy origin story, is that he was made by these things, and the reason he doesn't remember his beginning is because if he did, then he'd know everything, and he would not be useful for for his intended purpose. Yeah. So they just made a little guy to go experience some stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised that they limited themselves to one. 
Eh, you'd think they'd make a bunch of little guys and learn a bunch of stuff. I mean, they are uncountable in number. Yeah, but even making just Vuffy, they were like, that one thing alone is chaos that we didn't have planned for. That is true. So they're like, if they made a ton of them, it would freak them the fuck out. Maybe they decided to start with microdosing. Yeah, they're like, look, we're just going to make a little guy... And it's his birthday, and then as soon as that guy's done, then we'll go back. We're going to start with like five to ten grams of new experiences and then see where that works for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, that's, I mean, it doesn't say it in the book, but yeah, as as John immediately sussed out, these are these are Vuffy's ersatz parents. These are, these are the guys. Yeah, these are the one, the other, and the rest made Vuffy. And then that's, that's it for them. They're off to retrieve Vuffy from wherever the fuck they are to wherever the fuck he is. Yep. And wherever the fuck he is, is where we go for chapter three, where, you know, hey, what do you know? They're alive. Mm -hmm. Of course they're fine. So basically, the ship, we get more descriptions about how it's like leaking plasmas and goops and so on. Oh, yeah. The back of it is just the explosive thing that they put on the back to make it seem like they blew up still generated a shit ton of heat and explosive power. Yeah. So the back of the Falcon is just like smoking and parts of it have melted yeah so they've deployed the external remote or radio controlled uh fire suppressant systems to start cleaning up the back of the falcon and that movement is enough to get uh lihisu to be like oh my gosh someone's in there and they're alive and sure enough the lights turn on and he can see through the little windows into the falcon which this time is described as a coral encrusted horseshoe crab (laughs) yeah why not (laughs) i love all the descriptions of falcon in these and you know, they shoot out a little message. They're like, hey, buddy, how you doing? We're alive. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, Lando's like, hello, old flatfish. And then he says a bunch of shit that makes no sense to, to Lisa at all. Yeah, because he's like, oh, if we hadn't blown up a thing, then you'd be talking to our ghosts. And, you know, <laughs> the Oswalf don't have a concept of dead beings being around. <laughs> or specifically, the, the idea that a being would be protoplasmic and see-through. Because the whole deal with the Oswalf is when they die, they switch from transparent to not trans, to opaque. Yeah. So ghosts are like the opposite of the the, the Oswalf. And, and, and they just don't have a concept yeah. of a being coming back from the dead. Yeah. So not, so he, he listens to Lando's long rambling hello, and mostly all he gets out of it is hello. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're alive. And also gibberish. Yes. Plus, we, we start learning one of my favorite things about the Oswalf, which is that their name structures are uh, honorific based. So, oh yeah, so that they list names by by what they assume are the fir- are a real name, and then a, a, an ever increasing list of honorifics. Oh, Lando Master Captain! Yeah, they're call- he's calling him Lando Captain Master, and and uh, I love that. I I hope it gets longer. Huh. But we do get a mention that he's calling him that in the men- the the way he would address an a uh, an, an elder. elder of his own species with a certain flair of respect. Like, he's still not exactly sure what the hierarchy is among these three weird things he thinks are the living creatures he's encountered. Uh, but he's pretty sure Lando's an important one. Yeah. He's like, oh, the, the little one calls you master and that's an honorific. So I guess that means you're in charge of him. Yes. Plus you've been introduced as the captain of the, of the Millennium Falcon. So that, that's a title. So now you're Lando master captain. Yeah. Uh, so, and <laughs> I like that Lando's already mad at Buffy. He's like, now he's calling me master. God damn Everyone it. stop calling me master. It's the one thing I don't like. <laughs> Uh, Lisa, call him Lando Fuckface Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Only Broker Captain may call him Fuckface. <laughs> ah, my many epithets. <laughs> uh, so he's just like, yeah. Um, here's the deal. We we're a little late. Like they were supposed to meet him a couple of days ago, and Buffy's explaining to him as fast as he can. Like, yes, we got here, and then we had to like lie our way through a whole battalion of navy guys who couldn't know what we were doing before we could finally run the blockade so lando's been pretending to be some sort of salesman and lando is noting a a distinct air of disgust in buffy's voice yeah he's like come on man you know i'm a con man what what else was i gonna do anyway yeah (laughs) just there's a whole real upset that he's like being dismissive of the fact that he was doing this he's like come on you think he'd love it i mean I, i get it that that Vuffy probably doesn't like con men especially much because, of course, he was forced by a con man to impersonate the leader of the Renitation system and then fuck that all them thing. over forever. Yeah, so that might be why he doesn't like con men. But still, he likes violence even less. And that was the only other option. Yeah. So, you know, they explain like, oh, we blew up a thing and made it look like we blew up and then we showed up here. And, uh, oh, you are very hungry. We can tell. 
Oh yeah. Here, have a little dump. It's 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 kind of kind of silly, honestly, because first Lando's like, I feel like putting on my swim trunks, friend. And Buffy's like, oh shit, me too, let's do this. And all he really means is he's going to suit up and go outside and look at... He's never really seen Lahisu with his own eyes. Oh yeah, and I love this scene of them going out, because they're like, alright buddy, we're going to go play around. Like, we are literally just going to fly around in space and be like, wee, fun times! Yeah. Yeah, so there we have a whole sequence where... Lando's using the jets on his spaceship. We establish that Buffy can just propel himself through space with something, and no one knows what the fuck it is. Yep. No questions asked. Nobody cares. <laughs> he can just move around out there like he's nor- like it's normal for him. Gee, I wonder if that's some kind of foreshadowing. Hmm. 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 But yeah, Lando's basically pretending that that he's a World War One fighter biplane, and and Lahisu is a dirigible, and he's just flying around pretending to shoot bullets at it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the description of this because it sounds like he's just got finger guns and he's going, I got you, I got you. <laughs> I like that even for L. Neil Smith, the references to real Earth are a little heavy here. And so he has to be like, other people in a different time and place might describe the things Lando are, is doing as Luftberry circles and Imelman turns. And I was like, I know what those are. And I know that a Melman is a guy, so yeah, you definitely... Yeah, you can't say that this is a thing he is doing within, you know, the world of Star Wars, but you have to say, all right, if this was Earth, then he'd be doing these, okay? Yeah, there are certain words that are in English that you see in Star Wars books sometimes and it immediately takes you out of it because you're like, wait a minute, we saw that once with a name, uh, uh, like a, a name that was like a 15th century French philosopher or something. Yes. I forget what it was specifically. But obviously the easiest one, because they have to describe these fucking villains in every book, is sadism. Ah. It's named after the Marquis de Sade. And, and so you're kind of stuck with every time anyone's a sadist in these, they're like named after a crazy dude. Yeah, well. Like a real dude. <laughs> a real, real man. But here we get, yeah, he's basically pretending to be a World War One barnstormer, because that might be L. Neal Smith's favorite kind of airplane to, to describe. Yeah, but he does the thing, and, you know, Vuffy's playing along, and he's like, oh, as soon as he gets me in his sights and goes like, pow, pow, I got you, he goes like, oh! He spins. <laughs> Vuffy is so eager to please Lando that he's like, ah, master, you shot me down, and he, like, spirals out of view. And so the three of them, this ocean liner-sized monster uh, <laughs> and a little tiny robot and Lando are just having an afternoon of zipping around in space and laughing at each other. Yeah, it's adorable. A good, fun, playing around like a bunch of five-year-olds on a playground. That's the kind of shit that should be in more of these Star Wars books. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's the kind of thing where (laughs) normally you'd be like, oh, Lando went out and he's not in, he is not tethered to the spaceship. He is just in a fucking space suit. Mm -hmm. And normally that would be like, oh, that's, the most terrifying possible thing that could ever happen to a human. Yeah. But he's just like, nah, this is great. I love it. He doesn't need to be worried about it at all. His best friend is a robot that can fly with no apparent power source at all or propulsion who could easily pull him back in. And even if that doesn't work, there's this 800 foot long monster that's his pal right there. He's got Godzilla who can put him right back on the ship and Godzuki. And Godzuki. (laughs) So we also get a little bit here, we're running, winding down, but we get a little bit here of Lando describing what it's like to be inside the Star Cave. The creepiest thing to him is the stars. They don't make any sense, and no physicist would ever like their arrangement or how they work. Yes. But he's like, the problem with the Star Cave is I know in my heart of hearts that it's like 120 trillion kilometers from one side to the other. Yes. I know that. And yet my eyes won't let me work with that, because that doesn't make it, that doesn't make sense. So instead, it just feels like I'm in a really big cave. Like, big enough that I could walk over there in a couple hours. Yeah. He's like, it's a massive cave, but not, like, star-size massive cave. Like, it just seems, because I can see, you know, everything the curve of one part of the nebula, and I look to the other side, and there's the curve of that. I can see sort of the opening where the Navy blockade is. It makes it feel much smaller than it actually is. Yeah, it's light years across on the inside, but he can't... His brain won't process that. Yeah. And so instead, he's just like, it feels like I'm in a big cave. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, while they're playing around, all of a sudden, some bullies come out. To <laughs> just a couple, couple of Oswald bullies show <laughs> yeah. up. They do, as John mentioned, they do feed uh, Lahisu because everyone's starving in this nebula. So they, they brought along a bunch of special tanks of, uh, of amino acid chains that would be delicious for him. I assume they were using those as the fake containers of Beebleberry ice cream. Um, uh, 
bungleberry, whatever it was. Uh, so they feed him one of those, and that's enough to set off these two bullies. Because as as Lahisu is like quietly eating the food, they bring him two guys who are like seven times the size of Lahisu show up, and they're like, "Oh, look at you taking a chance to feed your hungry, stupid little face." Oh, you <laughs> you dumb baby, you <laughs> dumb jerk, stupid. <laughs> Now, Delando and, and Buffy, this is fucking crazy because these things are orders of magnitude bigger than Lahisu was. And so the two of them come out and start insulting him. And I think my favorite part is when Buffy tries to interpose himself between Lahisu and these monsters. Oh. Like, hey, don't be mean to Lahisu. He's our friend. And like, it's like a microscopic dust boat is talking. And I mean, the other thing is, of course, Lando immediately goes, oh, shit, these are the elders. Yes. Because. He he was told, he was like, oh, okay, elders are much larger than this guy is. All right, well, these guys are way bigger than Lahisu, so I assume these are elders. And when he conveys that to Lahisu, he's like, oh, no, these guys are just assholes. <laughs> the, the elders are way bigger than them. I, I, I probably mentioned it to you earlier, Lando, that I'm effectively like a teenager in my society. These guys are like 22. Yeah. <laughs> and we're one of those species that just grows forever, like toads or something, so... So, uh, yeah, these guys are not big. I'm just really little. Yeah, I'm just a little guy. It's my birthday, and these guys are big assholes. Yeah. So the two of them are like, what the fuck are you doing here? And why did you bring this useless crap? And, and uh, oh, you are in trouble, and we're going to take you and your tiny little friends, and we're going to go to the elders because they want to rough you up or some shit. Yeah, you're in trouble now, mister. And Lando's like, wait, you guys aren't the elders? Lisa's like, no, the elders are much bigger than these two. The fuck. elders are big. These guys are merely large. <laughs> so now we know that the elders are going to be like Death Star sized. Yeah, just absolutely just insanely units. massive. Yeah. <laughs> going to be like a Pixar mom's ass. <laughs> the dumpers on these elders. <laughs> Little tiny guy at the front, but almost entirely dumper in the back. Yeah. <laughs> so... So that's where the chapters end, is yep. uh, is they're they're off to go meet the elders and discuss uh, uh, what's happening and what Lahisu's part in all this was, and who are these strangers he's welcoming, and I guess Lando's going to have to parlay with some, like, half the size of a planet guys. Yeah, he's basically about, about to go have a meeting with Ego the Living Planet. <laughs> yes, I have a penis. <laughs> uh so, uh, so there you have it. That's, uh, that's what's up with the chapters. Good shit. Good shit. There it is. We're still spinning our wheels before the big climax, but Lord knows we've been establishing some neat new things. Yeah. I mean, mostly these chapters so far have been like, all right, let's establish all the players. Let's establish who hates who and why. Yeah. And everybody hates Roker Gepta. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, it feels much more wheel spinny for us, I think, because we've read the other two books. Like mm -hmm. if you were just coming in blind, you're like, Wait, who the fuck is a Klin Shanga and what's a Roker Gepta? <laughs> They'd have to spend some chapters being like, all right, well, we have to let you know just how, <laughs> like, maniacally wizard evil this guy is. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it. Uh, check in with us in a week or so and we'll have yet more exciting Star Wars content just like it. But hey, if you're not tired of Star Wars shit yet, why don't you head to our Patreon and give us $4 monthly? Four monthly dollars. Mm -hmm. And you can have the expanded expounded universe which again that's i didn't even say yet that's at patreon.com slash system mastery where we have all kinds of bonus content and as well as that everything on the patreon is ad free including the original the main episodes like this one this one is about to end with a real ad from like a real horrible company or something i assume i don't even know who's putting the ads in here <laughs> i don't know what the ads are and i'll never know we we took the chance to say no energy companies and i don't think we really got to anything else we probably we should probably clean that up a little more yeah well um but if you don't want those ads, and I apologize that they're there, but you know, inflation's what it is. We're, we 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 have to make we have to make a living. Um, got to make that dollar. So if you if you don't like the ads and you have enough money to get away from them, then by all means come to Patreon.com where you can support us at even the two dollar level, even the bargain basement level gets you ad free versions of everything we do. That's right. But if you want the bonus content for this expanded expounded universe where we make dumb Star Wars stories out of dumb Star Wars facts uh, that we find on Wikipedia. Head to patreon.com slash system mastery. Support us at the $4 level. There are other levels as well. Uh, two we already mentioned, and 10 will unlock everything. Two more shows that you have access to. Uh, Ad free everything. It's an amazing deal, so consider it. Consider Won't the you? lilies. And hey, if you don't have the, the financial resources to get out of the ads right now, I, I'm i not happy that they're there. You have my... my but hey, 
a fast forward button exists, so yeah. whatever. We didn't officially say that, but unofficially, there's a 30 second fast forward button. <laughs> officially? Yeah. Fuck them. You can skip them. Who cares? <laughs> so please, by all means, check out those. Um, and just link, link us to other people who might like us because Lord knows our usual means of gaining new listeners. Twitter is becoming a fascist hell pit and we'll, we'll, we probably won't be there that much longer. Yep. So that's what's up. Thank you so much for checking in with us though. We still like doing what we do and we'll still try to do it no matter what the odds. Yeah. And never tell us those odds. <laughs> Please do not. Uh, and it, otherwise I've been Elan Sleeves Bagano. Oh no, I don't have an ending. <laughs> The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like, and then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come, join us in the muck at System Mastery.